non-therapists, non-licensed therapists. This is Karen. This is Bonnie. This is not a therapy podcast. It's just a title. Yes, it is. Well, I mean, we're we. You have to pay for this therapy. Three hundred an hour. I think that's good. <laughs> um, yeah, we're not therapists. People should know this by now. But Bonnie and I are both two former evangelical Christians. But hey, if you're a Christian, we welcome you. And same with the people of Jewish descent, uh, Catholics, um, Mormons, Zoroastrianism. Uh, <laughs> definitely the Zoro, Zoros is what they like to be called um, from information I just made up. But thank you for tuning in. You guys have been so great by reviewing us. Our goal is to just get more reviews this year. We'd really appreciate it. Now you can do it on Spotify, which I don't think you can write a review. Wait, is that our goal? That doesn't seem very lofty. I think that we can achieve it. It's the kind of goal I I like. What I do is reach for the stars. Um, Get it? Oh, that was good. but yeah, there's some stuff we can do on Spotify, like there's a Q&A section now. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's happening, but I'll look into it if you all want to interact. But I did want to say also, this is embarrassing, but this is good, and we're really trying to work towards this. Um, what? Is that Bonnie's like, <laughs> the what is happening? <laughs> what? <laughs> You just you just do your work and show up and look pretty, Bonnie. That's all you have to do. I'll do this. Don't you worry. But marketing ourselves in a way that is a podcast. So if you see yeah. more of our, hey, we have an Amazon storefront or, hey, we have sponsorship and we appreciate our sponsors so much. That's just what we're trying to grow into not feeling ashamed uh, because it's always awkward it's awkward um, we're not we're the not self-promoting ki- type yeah yeah we're not like pastors where it comes easily we are taking a while to do it but someone asked us and bonnie doesn't know this the other day hey i don't at this point i can't be a sponsor at seven dollars you know a month yeah but i'd like to donate once in a while can you do some kind of thing? So I started a frickin' Venmo. We just appreciate it so much. And I'd like to thank Anne for helping sponsor this episode. So Anne, I mean, you made oh, me cry cool. when your contribution came across. So you can find us on Venmo at Deconversion. That's pretty easy. And we really appreciate it. It's like a tip jar, an offering, or, you know, whatever. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) There you go. So we appreciate it. Wait, I have a parable. Well, I have a parable that applies, and I might have said it in a past. it's going to be good. All right. Yeah, I might have said it in a past episode. But the most probably um, iconic song that Eric Clapton is known for is Layla, which... Even, you know, the uh, novice rock listener (laughs) knows the song Layla. But when he released the album, he didn't want to release it under his name because he just wanted the art to speak for itself. And so he released it under the name Derek and the Dominoes. And guess what? The album didn't Mm. do well. And then he was like, God damn it. I guess I have to tell people it's me. And then it was a success. So even the best of them have to do the bullshit game. It's the business side. It's awful. And I get it. I know, but it's, we it's don't so love awkward. It, y'all. Anyway. We don't love it. But I will tell you this. I love, like, promoting other people. Um, like, yeah. that makes me happy. And it's just awkward. But then I think, and that's why I'm glad that I have you, because I'm like, oh, I am also doing it for you. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? Oh, that's a good way to look at it. I would do it for you. It's a, Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't you, Bonnie? No. But it's like the same, <laughs> I you know, slaved. I have to sort of trick the same, like, 
way I've got to think about it. But then I think about, you know, okay, but churches do it with no problem. Holy shit. Okay, but maybe we think of it, this is going to sound, this is even hard to say, but maybe we think of it like people seem to want to listen to more episodes. So maybe we do it for the people who want more episodes. What? It's, we I do know. it for the what? people listening? Oh, shit. <laughs> I can't so be selfless. I know. It's, so it's going to ruin my reputation. It's so, it's so uh, but awkward. But it's, it's absolutely true. So you might see more of it, and I know people will be like, what the hell? But we're, we're an LLC. You know, we're <laughs> one. But I know. That's it's so like crazy. It's like in Seinfeld. We're I'm a associate. I'm an associate. I am am a (laughs) co-host. And to do a good job at the business part is so hard because, as you know, we're artists. That's right. Let me me re-say that, artists. Um, So the business side is so wacky. And I have had a problem. Everyone who really knows me, that's two people, No, I have a real problem with what can be happening in sort of the deconstruction, deconversion world of monetizing coaching and telling people how to lose or do or act in their faith or whatever. I don't. So I'm like, oh, I don't want people to think we're the same thing, but we're not. We're a comedy podcast. Yeah, but it's... it's subject matter is this, but... Because it crosses over so much into that sort of area. Yeah, I'm well, like, oh, I don't want people. Yeah. Today we're not going to really talk about, well, I guess we are, but like today we're going to talk about somebody who just bashes organized religion, which I think is a lovely topic that's not too yeah. deconverty. No. And I mean, every, hopefully people know, don't follow fucking people who maybe have a lot of followers or seem popular on social media because you think they have an answer for you. They're no smarter than you, unless they're smarter than you. (laughs) Or be as wary of them as you were the people who you just left, you know? Fucking exactly, because that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, you know, just the whole thing. And it's hard. I get it. When people have left churches where they have been on stage, there is a tendency to stay on stage. And the group, wanting to belong to a group Mm -mm -mm. is a huge human thing. It's huge. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So here's what what who we're talking about today said about that. I'm going out of order now. So you've really just wrecked my flow. But it it applies to this. Um, So George Carlin is who we're going to talk about today. Um, And there was a great interview with him on Conan. It was brief, but I loved this little bit. So Conan says to George Carlin, do you hate people? And he says, no, no, individually, I love them. Every person I meet, and I'm not trying to be corny, I see the universe in them. You can see it. But when they start to group, when they get into clots, it's groups even as small as two. They begin to surrender the beauty of the individual for the sake of the group. And then he says, then as the group begins to get bigger, 6, 8, 12, 15, 100, 15,000, they begin to have hats armbands, little slogans, <laughs> lists of people they don't like, and it begins to get out of hand. Like, that is... Absolutely. It's such a... It's such a great thesis statement. And I want to say two things I got out of that. Is one, his name is George, you say? No. <laughs> is one, can you imagine if George Carlin lived to see MAGA? Oh, we my God. We would have gotten so much material. He would have just shredded yeah you know so that's sad and two i want to now use the word clot instead of church <laughs> i love that i think it's perfect when they get into clots. how's your jesus clot how's your jesus <laughs> clot going did you go to your clot on sunday <laughs> the symbol for our clot is an electric chair <laughs> god <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So so I'm excited to hear about it, but I'm just going to preface by saying 
growing up, I thought jo- George Carlin was evil. Like he, what? as you really? know, I grew up in a Southern Baptist. You okay. were a freaking sinner, Bonnie. I grew up where I wasn't really allowed to watch All in the Family, Soap, um, Maud, uh, things. Listen, in you know, fairness, that, none of our parents should have been letting us watch Maud or Soap. <laughs> <laughs> but George Carlin, because I knew that he was sort of a, quote, bad comedian with adult words, and then add on that the God stuff, mm-hmm. you know, it, it equaled that atheist noun where it was like, that is all terrible and I have to stay away from it. So I'm, so, uh, I'm it's like I've rediscovered him. Nope. It's as if I have discovered him. Yeah. Um, in my life. I love it. So I'm ready. Yeah. Um, well, I will, I will say this one quote that he has to me kind of ties it up with a bow. On organized religion. He says, organized religion has the best bullshit story of all time. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day. And the invisible man has a special list of 10 things he does not want you to do. And if you do any of these 10 things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. But he loves you. He loves you, and he needs money. He always needs money. He's all-powerful, all-perfect, all-knowing, and all-wise. Somehow, he just can't handle money. Like, that's, <laughs> that's so good. And that's it. <laughs> and everything we do or anybody does that sounds similar to that is a response and a copy of George Carlin. It really is. He was the one that brought these thoughts to the forefront of, you know, the world to hear. Yeah, and everything was changing when he was progressing through his career. Um, And Mm -hmm. I'll get to that in a minute because one of uh, the other overall quotes he has about religion is, religion is like a pair of shoes. Find one that fits for you, but don't make me wear your shoes. (laughs) Like. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, um, especially the new jelly shoes that are coming back that'll cut your pinky toe off. Oh my God. Jelly shoes? Is that what you said? They're back. Well, they are yeah. hot. Let me just tell you how sweaty they make your feet, at least in Florida. They're, it's just a slipping ball <laughs> of gross um, body meat. Yeah. Okay. So, the sources for all of this included a lot of stand-up specials and material that you can find on YouTube. Um, And then his autobiography that he was working on when he died in 2008 and he was 71. So if he were alive today, he'd be 86, you know, still could have been kicking around age. He could have really been, um, Oh man, MAGA might've killed him anyway. Yeah. Or he would have killed MAGA. Like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so his his biography was called Last Words. And uh, let me just mention, when I was looking for books to read on him, I was going through my favorite mm-hmm. thing, the reviews on Amazon for books. <laughs> and here's some guy who, and I don't know if he did it ironically, but if he did, it was really good and subtle and didn't overkill the joke. The guy reviewed the physical book that he received mm. in the package. Okay. He said, <laughs> not too dinged up for a used book. Arrived on time. <laughs> Good price. <laughs> I love those. It's just, he didn't oversell the joke at all if it was a joke. Not too dinged up. Anyway. And that's what George Carlin, it probably would have been his favorite review. Right. Um, so the the other thing that I noticed as I was looking at all these clips on him, the videos, first of all, there's something about the human 
a brain that needs to comment on social media about how it used to be and everything was so much mm-hmm. better then. But <laughs> things that George said in his material, uh, he was frequently commenting on the state of political correctness in society. And P.S., he was doing mm-hmm. this in 1972. You know, it, this was yeah. happening in the 80s. And now, like, at what point do we think that this country wasn't obsessed with political correctness? Why do people keep thinking that it's just happening now? Anyway. Right. So that was something that I noticed from, you know, a theme that was going on with him as well as the comment comments. Um, let's see. Did, did he? Okay. So a brief bio. It seems like so long ago, but he was born in 1937 in the heart of New York City. That is, <laughs> I can't even remember that. Well, it was 86 time. years ago. Um, so in New York City, and they lived up in the area around like Morningside Heights, around Columbia University. And it was like one of those neighborhoods where it was filled with a lot of students and professors and thinkers. Anyway, doesn't really apply to his family. It's a danger. Yeah. I wonder. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't so much apply to his family because his mom was very concerned with being um, on the uh, upwardly mobile kind of status in society. And she really mm-hmm. liked nice things. His father drank too much and wasn't mm-hmm. good to her, you know, and abused her and his first or his older brother. So... When he came along, they, um, his dad was still drinking, and they, uh, they had an evening where his mom had all of the like silver and crystal and yada yada on a tray. And his dad comes home drunk mm-hmm. and throws it out of their sixth floor apartment, and it just lands on mm-hmm. the ground. And that's when his mom decided she wasn't having it anymore, and she's going to get this child that's out right. of here. And then I've got something... Good. For Claire. <laughs> her name was her Mary. Name? <laughs> I love that. Mary, did you know? <laughs> Mary Fuller. Did of you Grace. know your silverware was going to fly <laughs> out the sixth floor? That's the other thing, is like having to recreate all that crap in your, you know, necessities of a kitchen. All right, you're going to hear some noise because I'm opening up the book um, and I want to read you. Okay, here's what I wanted to read you about his mother and father. Well, she got pregnant year years later than most people got pregnant because they just were very attracted to one another. Um, <laughs> and then okay, hold on. Okay, she sorry. got pregnant years after. Never, I'll start that over attracted. again. Hang on. So. Mary gets pregnant with George years later than most ladies were getting pregnant with kids in 1937 because there was mm-hmm. a hot spell and they went to the ocean side and they went at it and had sex and they had sex a lot. They were very attracted to one another, his mom and his dad. Mm-hmm. So because they didn't want to have another child, she would regularly go to the gynecologist and get a DNC. Mm. Do you know what that is? God. Exactly. Yeah. So it scrapes off the lining, I guess, of your uterus and gets rid of any potential babies that are in there. Shit. So that is Yeah. Wow. So she would regularly go and have this done. But Dear reader, that is <laughs> a traumatic thing that women usually have to go through. So right. if they have a miscarriage or something like that, or an abortion, um, that's the end part of it. Not pleasant. That is not a great, like, you no. know what my kind of birth control is? Some scraping. Well, so in his book, he says that the procedure in question was called a DNC, dilation and curatage, which I'm probably saying wrong. Literally, open wide and scrape, a wonderful, delicate euphemism for quasi-Catholics with a little money. Really high tone, too. Okay, so this is the part I wanted to read you. 
Legend has it that my mother was seated in Dr. Sunshine's waiting room with my father, who, being a family man, was reading the sports pages, apparently just fine with my being less than 100 feet from storm drain number three. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) This is when his mom's pregnant with him. (laughs) The good doctor's instruments were sterile and standing by. The old dilator and curatager, I am fucking that word up, I'm sure, had selected a nice new pair of rubber gloves and was whistling cheerfully as he pulled them on preparatory to my eviction. (laughs) Then it happened. My mother had a vision. Sometimes when you're trying to be born, that religious shit can come in handy. Not a full-blown vision, like Jesus' face being formed by pubic hairs in the bottom of the shower, (laughs) but real enough to save my embryo. Ass. My mother claimed she saw the face of her dear dead mother, who died six months earlier, in a painting on the waiting room wall. She took this as a certain sign of maternal disapproval from beyond the grave. Catholics go for that sort of thing. She jumped up and left the abortionist's office with me still safely in the oven. On the street below, she delivered these momentous words to my father. Pat, I'm going to have this baby. And so I was saved from an act frowned upon by the church, though an experience smiled on by the church. Oh, through an experience smiled on by the church. The vision, I guess. It's a wonder I'm not more devout. In fact, you might be surprised that I support a woman's right to abortion, but I do. Absolutely. So long as it's not my abortion. (laughs) So how freaky is that? I mean, the it whole is, the whole part of it is freaky. <laughs> the, the, it really is. Like, hey, you know, Pat, it's time. Let's go get scraped, and then yeah, yeah, the whole vision thing and her name being Mary. Yeah, and then her declaration she was going to have a special child. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's why she didn't. So after he tells about how he was born, just one of the asides that he brings up in this book that I thought was particularly funny, when he was talking about how much they were into each other, his parents, physically, he -hmm. says, Dad's approach was uninhibited for such prim and proper times. There again, calling the times prim and proper. Um, According to Ma, she'd sometimes hear him call from another room, Mary, is this yours? She'd go in and find him standing in the nude holding his penis with the ice tongs. (laughs) (laughs) What I want to know is how did these stories get to little George's ears? She told them. Did the mother say, well, there was one time. Yes. All right. Yes. That is not a family I came from. Okay. I know. <laughs> so, okay. So I told you they divorced when uh, they, well, she left pretty early on and then they officially got divorced when he was two. Um, Postish. Yeah. Yeah. And whenever they would go someplace, they had to like sneak out and hide from the dad because he would find them. And then just hang out across Mm. the street and stalk them. And then he was so vindictive about not wanting to pay child support. At one point, he just quit working so he wouldn't have anything to pay them with. What a shit pile. Anyway, it was such a different world back then. And he was saying that by the time he was eight, so think of an eight-year-old now. Um, By the time Mm -hmm. he was eight, he was popping down to just other neighborhoods in Manhattan on the subway Mm -hmm. by himself. Okay. That is not a quick subway ride. This is a trending, (laughs) that is, that's sort of the pipeline story to being a comedian. Because we've covered many, like, comedians who are like, when I was 12, (laughs) I took a train to Atlantic (laughs) City. And you're like, what? Oh, yeah. And, like, um, what's her name? Mary Catherine Gallagher. Uh, uh, yeah, SNL. Molly Shannon. Yeah, Molly Shannon's dad challenged her to try to sneak on an airplane, and she did it, and she wound up in New York. <laughs> she called her dad, and like, she was like, we hopped a plane oh. to New York. <laughs> so, God. I know. I guess when you live with repressed parents, you know. Not a lot happens sometimes. Yeah. Anyway. No wonder he was against, you know, PC stuff because <laughs> his parents would have been arrested well, these days. Also, sometimes. one of the schools that he went to was Catholic, but they were very into critical thinking. So that's kind of refreshing. What kind of I know. Oxymoron? He started out doing mainstream venues like... Mm-hmm. 
I guess the Tonight Show with whoever was the host then, Jack Parr, maybe. I'm making that up. Don't. No one gives a shit enough to call me out on it. That's fine. <laughs> um, but like Ed Sullivan, you know, names like that that you know. So right. In the late '60s, he was making about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. In the 1960s. Shit. Yeah. That's, that's a crazy. Pile. Yeah. Okay, so I'm sending you a couple of pictures of George Carlin from the 60s so you can see what he would perform and look like in his early days. He, wow. Right? He's very clean cut mm-hmm. and a little goofy looking, actually, but just super clean cut. Yeah. Wow. All shaven. He's got a sweater on with a little, you know, Oxford underneath. And then in one, he's got the whole suit and tie thing on. Yeah. So then he started out like that. Over time, he changed the routines and how he looked. He grew long hair and a beard and had earrings. Mm -hmm. And he would typically dress in T-shirts and blue jeans. So he lost a lot of TV bookings by dressing not what wasn't the norm for a comedian at the time when clean cut well-dressed comedians were the norm and you can you can you imagine that's so stifling having them all come out in suits you know and i think i mean i i barely remember but sort of the idea of bob hope yeah you know that kind of comedian yeah. and then i'm sure they looked at george carlin like a schlub. Like, what's this guy doing? How disrespectful to our art. Yeah. And we as artists understand. Well, and on TV, you know, the audience. Anyway, so he hired these talent managers, and their names were Jeff Wald and Ron de Blasio, to help him change his image, making him look more hip for a younger audience. So if you think about ah. it, too, what's weird is in the late 60s, Mm-hmm. He would have been 30 already, which was kind of old to appeal to a younger crowd back then. Because remember, there was that whole slogan, don't trust anyone over 30. Anyway, so I guess he wanted his career to keep going, but he wanted it on his terms. So he changed his image, made him look more hip for a younger audience. And then they started putting him into much smaller clubs like the Troubadour in West Hollywood and the Bitter End in New York and said his income was reduced by 90%, but it really improved the arc of his career, you know, for the long run. Because it freed him up to talk about different things, too. Okay, so when you think of George, a couple famous routines come to mind, and one of them is about the seven Mm -hmm. uh, words that you can't say on television, which I don't need to repeat them, but I will. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, So... This is like the troublemaker phase that that I'm about to describe here. So, dirty words. In 1972, there was a clip of him on Johnny Carson that I watched when all of this was going on. So, around that time, he was perfecting the seven dirty words routine, which most notably appears on the album called Class Clown. And the words are as follows, I will say. (laughs) Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Those are the heavy seven. Those were the ones that will infect your soul, curve your spine, and keep the country from winning the war. (laughs) (laughs) So on July of 72, he was arrested after he performed that routine. And this was in Milwaukee. Um, So they charged him with violating obscenity laws. And then... right. So that case prompted him to refer to the words for a time as the Milwaukee Seven. So those were the words you couldn't say. Um, It was dismissed in December when the judge said that the language was indecent, but that he had the freedom to say it as long as he caused no disturbance. Um, There you go, people. Yeah. So, So that routine was part of then, like six years later, the 1978 uh, United States Supreme Court case versus FC, wait, it was the case was called FCC versus Pacifica Foundation. And it affirmed the government's power to censor indecent material on the public airwaves. So here's what Ah. happened. 
So in October of 73, this radio station in New York, they aired a broadcast that included the segment which featured his routine called Filthy Words as part of a program about societal attitudes toward language. So you heard the words I just said. If you're going to talk about those words and they're going to put it on the public airwaves, I... Even to this day, I think that's a little controversial because you only had so many yeah, radio sure. stations back then and TV stations. Correct. You didn't have you didn't have CDs in the car. You didn't have satellite radio. Nothing was recordable and playable back in the car. So you know you're a family poking around with the buttons. Anyway, um, so <laughs> this guy named John Douglas was an active member of Morality in Media. He stated in a complaint filed with the FCC that he heard the broadcast while he was driving with his 15-year-old son. Here it is. Um, he also and left it on. <laughs> like I really wanted to hear it. Um, so he also stated the material was inappropriate for the time of day, two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm sorry. That's, I kind of, I kind of agree with that. That's you know picking kids up from school sure. time. Um, so in response, this Pacifica Foundation the owner of the radio station, they received a letter of reprimand from the FCC um, censoring them for allegedly violating broadcast regulations, you know, prohibiting indecent material. Um, then at the radio station, I'll send you this picture to post. They have a list of the seven words, <laughs> which I just love that <laughs> in the 70s, there would be a list. Um so, so the radio station, it wasn't like, hey, let's hear George Carlin now. It was like something educational that they mixed in that. Yeah, it was a it? broadcast about societal attitudes toward language. Oh, and okay. There's a right. little anecdote in the book. Even when his mom was embarrassed of the words that he used in that routine. She tried to like yeah. uh, like say to the nuns in the church like, "Oh my god, I know, but how about the words he's using? It's just really it's just really inappropriate." And the nuns were like, "No, what he's trying to do is get us to like realize how stupid the whole thing is that some of these words carry so much weight and that uh, so then right. she was like, "Oh, cuz the nuns kind of let her off the hook." About being embarrassed about it. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, you said that he went to a Catholic school that taught critical thought. Right. So that must be the church connected to it, unlike ours. I couldn't tell you for sure because I just don't know the whole story. But um, Well, then get off the stage. No. (laughs) Um, Here, so I like this. So. The This is about TV and free speech. The FCC decided free speech applied to everyone except TV and radio because they got a letter from a minister, Donald Wildman. And so George's quote is, Well, Reverend, did anyone ever tell you there are two knobs on the radio? I'm sure the Reverend isn't that comfortable with anything that has two knobs on it. <laughs> one to turn it off and one to change the station. It's called Freedom of Choice, and it's one of the principles the country was founded on. Look it up in the library if you have any left after you finish burning all the books. So There you go. Yeah, so I did right. look up Donald Wildman, and he established the National, the National Federation for Decency, NFD. After watching TV in one night in December, he felt that there was no primetime programming appropriate for his kids. So... First, they boycotted in 1978 against Sears for sponsoring All in the Family, Three's Company, and you know what else? Charlie's Angels. What the? What? So Sears withdrew their ads from Charlie's Angels and Three's Company, which makes me wonder if they were both on ABC, and that's why, because, you know, ad space buying, they could have gotten away with less loss. Um... But they didn't boycott, I guess, all in the family. Um, Then he founded the Coalition for Better TV with the assistance of Jerry Falwell. And then... Who? Never. Yeah. Then they also protested MASH. (laughs) MASH. Uh, Well, it's... They gotta get... They gotta start in on the drag. Yeah. 
with um, Klinger or whatever his name was. Yeah, well, yeah. speaking, oh my God, perfect segue. And she didn't know this was coming, listeners, because if you recall, that's the way Lenny Bruce got discharged from military service by dressing as a lady. And we're going into this next incident right here. George Carlin was present at Lenny Bruce's arrest for obscenity. So so we've done an episode, go back to the one that Bonnie did, which was one of my favorite episodes on the comedian Lenny Bruce. Aww. Well, so he was a contemporary of his, and I think, I want to say it's in Chicago. Let's see. Um, so he was, either way, he was present for Lenny Bruce's arrest for obscenity as the police started trying to detain members of the audience for questioning. They asked George Carlin for his identification, and he told the police he didn't believe in government-issued IDs and was arrested <laughs> and taken to jail with Lenny in the same vehicle. Um, wow. That must have been a great <laughs> ride, though. I would want to be in there. I'd want to be in there. I'm going to send you a picture of his mugshot, which is hilarious. That's when comedians were doing things. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, it's true. Like, my friend went to Sarah Silverman the other night, and I Aww. envied her because there are comedians that understand, like, pushing things forward. Mm -hmm. They are a great catalyst for that. And during this time, that would have been sort of the Jesus movement situation and the hippies and all these people sort of looking to be counterculture <clears throat> and what a, you know, good thing like his voice was during that time for people to go, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, let me think about this. Yeah, let me think is the first three words <clears throat> of what you just said. Let me think. Anyway, Correct. so it's all about being not, you know, I think, taken over by the group. Anyway, I just sent you a picture of his yeah. mugshot. So it's quite different from what he looked like when he was performing in the previous, you know, not even 10 years prior to that. Oh, right. So <laughs> this is a, yeah, it's, it's a bit between... A folk singer and um, Charles Manson. Charles Manson, <laughs> right? And so, what's on his shirt? Is it him? I don't know, but he, he always he's got a really badly done T-shirt. Yeah, he always had T-shirts with like graphic designs on there, and jeans, and um, you know, the long stringy hair, and the beard. Um, so, yeah, that's that. So we'll post those too. Um, uh, regarding the episode. Like you can't Google them, but maybe you don't want to. Anyway, so back to his stuff. Uh, here are just some bullet points about what I love about him. He owns his shit. He says, mm -hmm. because of my abuse of drugs, I neglected my business affairs and had large arrears with the IRS. And that took me 18 to 20 years to dig out of. I did it honorably and I don't begrudge them. I don't hate paying taxes and I'm not angry at anyone because I was complicit in it. But I'll tell you what it did for me. It made me a way better comedian. I'm like, uh, that's so awesome. What? What? I have not. Uh, that's crazy talk. Crazy talk. From a white man? <laughs> double check them facts. You double check those. Okay, so let's see. Um, okay, when somebody asked him about God, if he believed in God, he responded, no, no, there's no God, but there might be some sort of an organizing intelligence, and I th think to understand it is way beyond our ability. Um, yeah. I've always said that, sure. but I don't think it's because I heard I him say that. But I haven't, but I... Oh, I mean, you've not, well, cult. I don't say there's yeah, no I God, but I think there's something. I just don't think that we're at all prepared to say definitively. Come on. No. Come on. Yeah. I mean, I am. But yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> um, let's see. There was that. Okay. There was also a pretty famous bit that he did. And again, of course, it's all on YouTube um, about the Ten Commandments. And he's like, why are there Ten Commandments? Yes. So he says about 5,000 years ago, a bunch of religious and political hustlers got together to try and figure out how to control people, how to keep them in line. They knew people were basically stupid and would believe anything they were told. 
So they announced that God had given them some commandments way up on a mountain where no one was around. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then he says, but why 10? He's like, because 10 sounds official and important. And it was really just a marketing decision. <laughs> So then in the act, in the bit about Ten Commandments, he goes through them and names them. And he's like, isn't this really just the same thing? So these three could be lumped together. And then he goes to the next ones and lumps them together. So I think he comes up with like two or three that we really could have had, you know, covering everything, which is really clever. Um, Here is another little tidbit that I love. He says when it comes to religion, he really tried to believe But the more you live and look around, you realize something is fucked up. War, disease, death, destruction, poverty, crime, corruption. He goes, if this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Results like these do not belong on the resume of a supreme being. This is the shit you'd expect from an office temp with a bad attitude. (laughs) In any decently run universe, this guy would have been out on his ass a long time ago. No wonder your parents wouldn't let you watch this. That's right. (laughs) Satan incarnate. Um, Okay, so then the next step is, well, what do you worship? And he said, huh. He decided to look around for something to worship, something he could really count on. So he decided that would be the sun. He's like, first of all, you can see it. It gives us everything we need. Heat, light, food, flowers, reflections on the lake. And occasional skin cancer, but there are no crucifixions, <laughs> and we're not setting people on fire because they don't agree with us. Um, yeah, he go. says there's no mystery, no miracles, no pageantry, no one asks for money, no songs to learn, and we don't have a building where we gather each week to compare clothing. But the best thing <laughs> is the sun never tells me I'm unworthy, doesn't say I'm a bad person, that I need to be saved. But I don't pray to the sun. I don't presume on that friendship. Praying for cars, a new job, etc. He's like, that's no way to treat a friend. I'm like, Bam. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So then back to praying, he says, he's like, so who do I pray to? And he's like, Joe Pesci, the actor, because (laughs) he's talented and looks like he can get things done. And after praying to Joe for over a year, he says he noticed with all the prayers he offered to God versus all the prayers he offered to Joe Pesci, they get answered with about the same percentage rate. Half the time he gets what he wants, half the time not. So the (laughs) 50-50 result. Speaking of praying for shit. There was a great bit that he had about praying for stuff versus divine will. And he says, if there is a divine plan, a long time ago, God made a divine plan, put it into practice. Now you come along and pray for something. What if you want isn't part of the divine plan? He's like, doesn't that seem a little arrogant? What do you want him to do? Change his plan? What's the use in being God if every rundown schmuck with a $2 prayer book can come (laughs) along and fuck up your plan? So then he says, well, suppose your prayers aren't answered. Then you say it's God's will. So if it's God's will and he's going to do what he wants anyway, can't you just skip the praying part and go right to God's will? There you go. (laughs) Seriously. All of this is just like if-then logic statements. but Right. And there are things that I hear now and that we post memes about or we steal memes and repost them. And they really are just redacted from a lot of the things George Carlin, like you said, first said, because there's this whole meme about, you know, worshiping the sun because you can see it. And it's like, yeah, that's where we get this from. Yeah. uh, Let's see. There are just a few other topics that I like that he addressed Um, on the subject of war. He says, Americans are not alone thinking God is on their side. (laughs) God doesn't care about one country more than another. Americans pray for God to destroy our enemies, and then our enemies pray for God to destroy us. So somebody is wasting their time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And then to the term, God bless America. He's like, if people want to say God bless America, 
That assumes they believe in God, and presumably they must have heard that God loves everyone. So why would they ask God to do something that went against his teachings? They ought to check with this Jesus fellow they're so crazy about. (laughs) They're always talking about what would Jesus do. They don't ask so they can find out what to do, but so they can tell everyone else what to do. Like, (gasps) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I just think of our Sunday school teacher. Yeah. She didn't want to know yeah. what Jesus would do. She just wanted to pray yeah. for me so she could keep me in line. Anyway. That's it. Um, yes. Let's see. All right. So there are two more bits. Let's see. On God-given rights, anything you describe must have come from God. He says, personally, I believe if your rights came from God, he would have given you the right to have some food every day and to have a roof over your head. God would have been looking out for you. He wouldn't be worried about making sure you had the right to a gun so you could get drunk on Sunday night and shoot your girlfriend's parents. I don't know if that particular See, bit had to do with something that was in the news at that point. But but it is now. Yeah. And when what year did he die? Oh, my God, 2008. I mean, he's so relevant. That's always been my thing. Every time, like, something comes across, I'm like, yeah, that's what we're going through today. And I, this is a small aside, but when the youngins, and lots of them listen to us, (laughs) I don't know why, when they are so bereft about where the world is now, it is encouraging to remember that is exactly what people felt in the 70s. That is exactly what people felt in the 60s. There were horrible things happening, and there is just something about the human spirit and the earth itself that does cycle and repair and keep lasting. So that's all to say, you know, we're we're going to hell in a (laughs) handbasket, but when haven't we been? When haven't we been? And people are so alike. I mean, we're just so alike. Even the people who were buttoned up and prim and proper were fucking like rabbits and having abortions on a regular basis in 1937. Anyhow. Wow. Okay, so one of the other things he said that I thought you'd appreciate, this is just one line. He said, if the church people are so interested in politics and policy, let them pay tax. Their admission price, like everyone else. There you go. Okay, so this was my favorite that I will wrap it up on. All right, so this last bit I just wanted to put in there because it kind of buttons it up at the end for me. Um, He says, I started to question all this religious shit when I was a kid. I was a Catholic until I reached the age of reason. They used to tell us to remove our hat when we entered the church to honor the presence of God. But but they already said God was everywhere. So I thought, why would you even own a hat? (laughs) I love that as far as like all the thoughts that young people that we would have like this doesn't make sense or why this and they're deep but they're stupid like Uh, right you know stupid ideas that lead to deep ideas and I would think those as a Christian and a young person but I didn't keep going forward too far with those thoughts because I know why I would remind myself God works in mysterious ways, but on you know, or whatever. And it only took like you and me one time to have our youth minister, who we respected, say to us, "That's a stupid question," or you know, just dismiss it altogether. Um, right. right. So he goes on about the headgear. Um, he said, "But in the church, they told the women the opposite to wear a hat to church." Mm-hmm. But for Jewish men, they had to cover their heads with a yarmulke, but Jewish women were not allowed to. And he's like, try to figure this shit out. Catholic men and Jewish women, no hats. Jewish men and Catholic women, hats. Somebody's got this thing totally backwards. <laughs> <laughs> That's fascinating. Isn't it weird? Uh. The whole hat thing in just in just society, you know, that used to be such a thing for businessmen. When you said headgear, I was wondering <laughs> how you were fitting in me and my headgear braces, braces <laughs> thing <laughs> that I had to wear all the time that wrapped around my face. Yeah, but like um, he said before, like hats and armbands and you know, yeah, and people organize. And then the Pope with the huge. Pokey well, <laughs> hat, and then the 
on and on. I didn't even There's bring that one in, here. but he does talk about all the different hats and giant hats that every different religion yep. has their leaders wearing. And it is kind of funny. I mean, do you ever just think of how absurd it is? Well, I do. Never. <laughs> no, I absolutely do. Anyway, um, then he has a lot more to say about Catholicism, but uh, you can probably figure that out by his uh, upbringing. So there you have it. I love him. You know, of course, I remember Carlin just saying religion's always been used as a tool of control and manipulation by those in power. And I'm like, that's what you hear all the time. In the comments of everything I do on TikTok or wherever, there's someone who comes in with that line. I want to say that was George Carlin. But he really, like, oddly... He was a comedian who also did a master class in critical thinking about religion. And a lot of things. For, and a lot of yeah. things. And that's, you know, the Ricky Gervais of today or uh, Seth MacFarlane or anyone that you want to think of. I mean, that is sort of, he was, I guess, sort of the, the quintessential one because Lenny Bruce... I think a lot of people followed him, but he was so out there. He was a bit scary for people. He just yammered on a lot of times, and the drug thing with him was, I don't know, it made him seem a little bit less focused. But George's material was, yeah, whereas George's was more... Uh, it was tight, tight man. Yeah. It was tight. <laughs> I know the lingo. I know all these things. <laughs> Thank you. I love when you talk about comedians. Um, I have some other suggestions for you. Okay. So just you wait. But I love, like, the ideas that he started coming up with. Uh, I remember watching one. Maybe we'll we'll put it, go to Deconversion Therapy Podcast. And I'll put the video there. Um, I'll put a video there, one of the ones I loved of George Carlin. And we'll put some other things for you to watch there. And I, yeah, it's weird now at this age, like rediscovering people that I thought were the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I wasted some some of my best years. Not true. Um, I know. I enjoyed my life, all of it. But thank you for that. And we'll put everything in the details like of this little, what are we doing, an episode? So yeah. go down there, and I'll put little links so you guys can easily go doot, doot, doot. Yeah. Um, and look at the picture. Look at the listening. before and after picture. I know. I know. He really, that's the kind it, it just remember reminds me of every TV show, even the Wonder Years, where, like, that time of the hippie era yeah. where all the kids would look normal and then come in like that, and the dad would be like, oh, no, right. cut your hair. <laughs> you know, he's totally done that. Yeah. But thank you very much. Thank you. And, and thank you guys for listening. This is another episode of Smooth Talking <laughs> with Karen and Bonnie. Have a smooth week. We'll see week. you next time. <laughs> Bye. Peace. Bye.